Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast, where we have conversations with guests about their life, loss, grief, and of course, grief dreams, which can be dreams of the deceased. If you want to know more about the topic and your hosts, please visit our website at griefdreams.ca. To support our podcast, please go ahead and rate it. For additional ways to support us, please refer to our show notes. Before we move on with the show, we'd like to give a territory acknowledgement. Long before Canada was formed, the Stalo people were the original land stewards, and they have lived here since time immemorial. They continue to live in the unceded Stalo territory, known to settlers as the Fraser Valley and Lower Fraser Canyon of British Columbia. We recognize and honor the contribution that Indigenous people have made and continue to make to our community and the topic of great dreams. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Today on the show, we have your hosts, Jade and myself, Joshua. And this is a really fun episode for us. It's the end of the year episode where we get to look back and talk about and, and hear some of the grief dreams that people have shared. And so it's been a very interesting year for the team in the sense of the, sh- the shifting that has happened, but also to be able to get back on track. And I'm super excited to have actually be able to be a part of the rebrand and then also to get back on the podcast and interviewing some really amazing people. So this year we had four guests on and we're just going to showcase those. So people who are new to these recap episodes, what we do is we basically take parts of past episodes that people have talked about their dreams of the deceased and just allow you to sort of embrace those once again, because it's easy to forget. And also for people who are new to the podcast, these are great episodes to just get an idea of who the guests were and what they what they talked about. And you can always go back and listen to those episodes. So Jade, welcome to the podcast again. Good morning. Good morning. It's, it's New Year's Eve today, last day of the year. And so I think it's a fitting time to do this and have this conversation and yeah, four episodes seem minimal, seem minute, but they were such big, loud personality episodes and and really cool. And like you were saying, it's been a, a different year. It's been some you know changes with the team and stuff, but we were able to schedule some really cool conversations and go through with them. And yeah, so I'm looking forward. I think it's a good time to join the party because the episodes this year were, I think, really good just offered different perspectives on grief and some kind of out to left field aspects of the grieving process and dreaming process. And we had Dr. Raymond Moody. And and so some of those conversations didn't feel like typical grief conversations. They felt like coming at the subject for the different approach. And so, yeah, lots to review on that, but looking forward to touching base on that. And then also just having a little bit more of a conversation around what 2022 meant to you and what are your takeaways from the year as they pertain to grief? May, you know, maybe, maybe not. And just talk a little bit about that as well, if if time permits that. So I just say we jump right into the review and go ahead. You want to intro the first clip? Yes. Yeah, so on episode... 211. I still can't believe that we're over 200. This is, it's beautiful. Um, so at 211, we had Dr. Raymond Moody, who is the world-renowned author, lecturer, and psychiatrist who basically wrote a best-selling book, Life After Life, and really changed the way people really thought about and talked about death and dying. And so the book really was about his experiences in near-death experiences. And it was a really fun episode for me to be able to hear about this and really see how it really pertained to grief dreams in general. So in the clip, he talks about his dream about his grandmother. 
Yeah, yeah, I have. After my grandmother Moody died, I had a dream in which she was just in this most amazing place of light. It, I mean, I just, it felt more, more real than a dream. It had its own kind of reality. And, and I, I also have had some recurrent dreams about, you know, friends that I lost and held so dear. I, Can we just talk a little bit about how cool it is to connect with somebody who researches in such a seemingly whimsical field. Like I, I just love the how the the integration of like for me personally speaking, like some like spiritual experiences and values and things that seem kind of out of touch in terms of quantifying them or organizing them in a different way. And I just, I really enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Moody. He had so much information to share and just experiences that people have. It kind of jolt me back into like this, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland space. It pushes me back into a space of mystery. I don't know. Like, what did that conversation do for your for your life or your perspective on grief, Josh? Well, one thing I enjoyed was just how yeah, mysterious the experiences are, but also how similar they are to some of the mysterious experiences people connect with when it comes to their dreams and how they're basically talking about maybe something very similar. And it's like, sometimes we don't need to look at just specifically one thing, but if we sort of open up and sort of see what other areas of one thing trying to tell us, and a lot of times we can't understand it, like he said, right? You can't really understand the mystery of it all, but you can acknowledge it and sort of be in that space. And I kind of like that. And I like just, so you're right, like learning is always a, a big thing for me. And I really didn't know much about near-death experiences, to tell you the truth. And his conversation was just made me want to read more about it, made me want to like, question things a little bit more, but also just the joy. He was he was just a fun guy to hang out with or just to talk with. And I kind of want to be like that. Like, I don't know how well he was like, he was what, in his 80s? 78, I think he is. 78, almost 80. And he was, you know, like a great conversationalist and he had stories upon stories. And I love that. And, you know, it's amazing the people we get to meet can do the podcast with. So yeah, it was a really fun episode for me. And I could just like, I said, like, like you on the podcast, I would love to sort of have him as a dinner guest and just like chat with them some more. I too, he had some great one-liners. And I really appreciate his, uh, he used the word ignoramus, which I haven't heard anybody use that word in a really long time. <laughs> so, and he was like the, the, he was the epitome of like what millennial people like refer to as like, you know, when people say he's like zero Fs given or whatever, like he had that kind of, he, I know this is a PG podcast, but he had that kind of just unapologetic way of being and how, when he talked about his research and his life. There were a couple times where he said, like, I'm past the point of kindness, you know? So I appreciate the refusal to coddle. And he was just really matter of fact in some way, but so charming and stuff. And so that for me was like a personal teaching in the same breath. And so I quite enjoyed his, you know, his directness and and just his authority on everything that he's talking about. I think when you get to a certain point in your research career or your career in general, and there's something very punctual about the way you deliver information. And so I really appreciate that. And I could really pick up on like, he's just very sure He's he's very sure of what he's sure of, but he's also very sure of what he's the ambiguity of it all. Like he's saying, sometimes you just land in that space where you just really 
you don't know and we don't know. And that's the period at the end of the sentence. And so acceptance around that. And so, yeah, just personality wise, great. And really, I just really resonated with him. So great. Episode 211 was Dr. Raymond Moody. So thank you, uh, Dr. Moody, for coming on and gracing us with your intelligence and wit and, of course, humor as well. So that was great. The next one, episode 212, Parvati Marcus. She's an author who wrote the recent book, Whisper in the Heart, The Ongoing Presence of Neem Karoli Baba. She talks about her dreams of Neem Karoli Baba, also known as Maharaji, before he died and the lack of dreams afterwards, as well as the dreams of him from others. And Joshua and I also discuss our dreams we had of Neem Karoli Baba at different points in our journey. So take a listen. Um, I have not had a dream of him, certainly since he left his body, which I certainly wanted and still do. Okay. Uh, but um, I, when I was in India with him, I would dream of him at night. It was sort of like I felt like I was with him continuously. It was, it, you know, there was just like no let up <laughs> in that presence, which was just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there were people like Mirabai you, you were talking about who had a dream that really helped get her out of her grief. I, I wish I'd had that. <laughs> But I hadn't. But there's certainly in the book so many stories of people's dreams and how important they were in people's lives. You know, I mean, a dream can change the entire direction of your life. That's what I found fascinating when I was reading the dreams. That was a continuing theme that people sort of had was that there's this love that was present that they needed to feel one way or another, or they reminded what love was, but also the life-changing aspects of it. I think that's so beautiful just when looking at the power of some of these moments in someone's life and i think like what we do here is just raising awareness on why can't we talk about these powerful moments like why are we ashamed to in some way or afraid to like they're changing us like we should be like shouting from the mountain like, <laughs> like well, i had this dream <laughs> right <laughs> yeah oh god i know but, you know, people are much more willing to share that now. I mean, it, it's becoming a more open type of experience, something that I don't think people are being shamed for in any way. No. You know, it's just people may disbelieve you or they may go, ah, it was a dream. What do you know? You know, no big deal. <laughs> but it is a big deal. The thing is, that love, that unconditional love, is, is an experience we don't usually have here in the West, you know, or where you have a relationship with somebody where there is literally no condition put on that love, on both the love that you're giving and the love you're receiving. It's, it's just there. It's just its own essence, <laughs> so to speak. And you know that Maharaji knows everything about, at least we did. I mean, just like he said, you used to talk to my picture all the time. You asked many questions. Well, if he knew that about me, obviously he knew everything else too. You know, and he showed us that over and over again in many small ways. A friend would come in one day, you know, after having had a big fight with her husband and Maharaji would say something to her about, oh, you didn't uh, offer me your toast this morning. Well, if he knew that you didn't offer your toast that morning, then you, he certainly knew she'd had a big fight with her husband. But that didn't get mentioned. 
but knowing that he knows literally everything about you and still totally loves you unconditionally with no judgment whatsoever is something that's very hard for people to understand. But they can get a glimpse of that space when they've had darshan in a dream. How yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I think it's a good time for you to chat about your, your dream. Sure. Yeah, I'll share my dream. I just want to say before that, yeah, what what a scary sentiment to be exposed and having somebody have awareness about your life that you might not be openly prepared to share. But in the same breath, what a relief, what a relieving place to be that is free of distress. And it's like, well, I'm exposed and here I am and I'm still loved. And it's just, you can feel the weight of being proper just kind of move off you so that's a beautiful thought i really love that thought yeah my dream of i've only ever had one dream of maharaji and it was in 2015 and i was not in a beautiful spot in my life i had many questions about recent decisions i've made and where i was going and how i was going to get out of this web that i was in that i didn't want to be in and i didn't know the way out What's interesting was that it was on my birthday that I had the dream and I wasn't in my home. I was actually in a hotel, but the dream was it was at night and I was walking through this alleyway and it was like a war zone. Like there was just chaos and there was a riot. There was people flipping cars. There was burning buildings, very thick smoke in the air, just chaos, violence, chaos, just really hyper you know, very stimulated and just walking and feeling just a feeling of anxiety of like, how am I going to get out there? And what we know about our dream research and everything that those things often, you know, mimic our waking life. And so, like you say, like the daily runoff. And so that was likely indicative of just how I was interpreting what I was dealing with, maybe to the, you know, extreme. But I ran down an alleyway and there was a little wood kind of raggedy hut to my left and I kind of ducked in the door and I went in and it was completely dark but it was peaceful in there and I remember thinking when I went in the door oh I have a reprieve like I'm I'm safe naive of me to think this little raggedy hut was going to protect me in a war zone but a riot outside but I was thinking oh I'm safe here and then I looked in the corner and there was kind of like a bench built all around the hut and Maharaji was sitting in the corner in the shadows and barely any light but I could see almost like a sliver of his face and I moved closer and I sat on the bench next to him and I didn't say like help you know help me like get me out of this riot but I was conveying it with my eyes that that was the feeling in the dream I sat down and there was a blanket there and I pulled it over my legs but the bottom of my legs were sticking out and he reached out to touch my leg and I pulled my foot under the blanket like how I would read in the books that he used to do you know kind of tease the people so I did that Mm -hmm. and he said you don't want me to touch your leg and I said yeah I do and I pulled the blanket back out like (laughs) in the dream I'm thinking I'm not missing this opportunity yes I do but (laughs) You know, that witty repartee of like, and I have nothing to go off. Like, I don't even know. I just, I've read in books that that's what he used to do. So I was kind of, you know, giving him a taste of his own medicine, I guess. And so (laughs) 
Yeah. I said, yes, I do. And so he reached out and touched my leg and he looked me in the eyes and he said with his finger up, all you have to remember is the dove of hope. And I didn't know what that meant, but I woke up and of course I was feeling elated and incredibly relaxed. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, me and Joshua have talked about it a a lot, ad nauseum, but we you know, trying to make sense. Like, okay, he wants me to be hopeful. And I assume that that's in relation to eventually this riot and war zone will cease. And so so that's what, six years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seven years ago, six years ago. I can see maybe how that's kind of, I can definitely see how the dove of hope has kind of come. And so me and Josh have talked about, you know, in the Bible, how the, how they send the dove out and you know, Noah's Ark, they want it to bring back a branch, sign of land. And, and it's also always a symbol of peace, the dove. Yeah. So he's bringing peace to that chaos. Remember the dove of hope. Yeah. yeah. And the dove came back with a branch and, you know, shift upwards, but it took a long time, long time right. between the dream and a feeling in my life where I thought oh, I'm out of, I'm out of the web. But the I'm, dream has stayed with you. I've never forgotten that's, the dream. That's one Both of the past. ways that you know that this was Darshan, that you were in the presence of, is because it left such a powerful imprint on you. Yes. And it was it's funny. Yeah. So when I told Mirabai about the dream as well, and she's like, well, I said, I don't know what it means, Mirabai, but like I'm holding on to the promise. And this was before the upward shifts that I've mm-hmm. experienced since our last conversation, in-depth conversation. And I... She said, try to draw a dove. And I'm like a horrible artist. It's not my thing. And so I remember calling Josh and being like, I don't know. And I'm like YouTubing, like how to draw a dove. She said, (laughs) you know, paint it and stuff. And so there's paper on the ground. I was like, I can't draw a dove. Like, do I really need to do this? Is this the key to understanding what it is? But I think, yeah, all the nuances I don't, I don't fully get. But yeah, I think according to just our interpretation of what a dove means Mm -hmm. and you know those kind of the scriptures and the symbol of hope i think has been helpful and i'm under the impression that there's there's more to come that dove is bringing more like i'm still in the space where i'm remembering the dove of hope and i believe there's more peace to come you know and so yeah i would say it's like top i had a, a dream of ram das as well and that was a powerful dream but definitely at the top and yeah has stuck with me all this time a lot of the dreams that count in the book he's clearing up people's confusion you know sometimes when people have met maharaji they've already been involved with another guru another teacher and they have a con- or you know they grew up you know in a a fairly religious setting you know and so christ has always been you know at the forefront and so they they have a conflict of well, well what do I do now with this Bob in the blanket you know <laughs> compared to you know this other person I've been you know using as my representation of the divine right and he'll frequently come in dreams and show himself merging or sitting side by side with this other being to show them that it's all it's subek it's all one. That's what he came back to over and over and over again. It's all one. Subek. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some powerful dreams where he, you know, showing somebody that, yes, you know, the place in you that finds that in Mayor Baba can also find it in me and we're the same place. 
Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, have like with a lot of things in the relationship and the curiosity and the draw, I felt like I haven't really had a choice. Like, it's just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. And this is where your heart is and you feel connected to this, but I can't. And it's interesting. I have other times earlier, like when I have like your little puja in your house and you have a picture and then like the cable guy comes and you like flip the picture down because you think, <laughs> you know, like it's not Jesus. It's, you know, cause I don't want Shaw Cable to know, you know, I have this, you're going to say like, who's this man or the monkey statue, you know? And then the humor of that is like, mm. this is what I'm using to get to where I need to be. And it's like, but it's not like how my grandparents grew up in organized Christianity and you have Jesus on the cross all over your house and, and it's nothing. And so, yeah, I get what you're saying, Sabiq. And, and so it's, but it's my own challenge, you know, and I say, Maharaji, sorry, I got to put you down. You know, I'm not, I'm not in a place of readiness <laughs> and I can hear like the laughter, right? Like whatever you need. He doesn't care. He doesn't um, care. No. Do, whatever, do whatever you want with me. It's, <laughs> that's on you. So, you know, the ownership, I'm like, one day I'll get to a place that mm-hmm. I'll be able to have your picture And me and Josh have talked about this, a, a, you know, a lot, but right. finding that space and Josh, you have a really cool Maharaji dream. Would you like to share it quickly? Yes, yeah. So I've only had one, sort of like you, Jade. My PhD was it was just a difficult journey that you know people just don't know. You don't talk about it. They see that you have this thing, and they that's all they see, but they don't understand the journey. And so to then find a, a place that felt like home, I had to sort of come to British Columbia. And so I, I took a risk. Oh, I, <laughs> this is what the story's about. So I <laughs> I took a risk. I quit my job during the pandemic. I was working in Ontario. And then just to come out here, it just just felt right. And everyone thought it was crazy to do that, to not have anything lined up. And then I came down here and within two weeks, I had a job in the field that I've always wanted to have a job in. And it provided consistency, it provided enough financial stability to help me work through the debt that I had and also prepare and to save for the future and to buy new clothes, like all the sort of stuff that I've always kind of wanted to be able to do and then to be able to do that and then to continue to do the bereavement research. It's not on dreams specifically, but they do come up, but it's on how people's support has changed throughout the pandemic. So I get to serve in a way that I was serving prior and actually get paid for it. So like how amazing that is. And then to be in this place with mountains and water and it's just a, like a breath of fresh air. And I felt a lot of like we we're talking before, just trauma almost like settling or like the the pain like and the fears just settling down so anyways the dream i had was i was talking i I think it was jade was there and then there was someone else and i was talking to and then there's maharaji to the left of of me and then i was talking to this person i said yes and like i moved here i was talking about the story of moving from Ontario to here. And then he was just cracking up. It was just like, the he thought it was the funniest story ever. And then I looked at him and I just knew what he was laughing at. And it was the word I. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing too. And then I then went back to the person and carried on the conversation. And then the word I came up again. And then he started cracking up and I started cracking up. And then it was just like, just started like laughing and the conversation just stopped. And then uh, he came over to me and then I, I hugged him. I got the chance to actually like touch him for the, like the first time. And he felt like a, um, you know, a squishmallow stuffed animal that, that's like out there now. 
anyways, he felt like that because I just recently that day went to like Toys R Us and felt one for the first time, <laughs> and so, so it felt like that. Like there's there's no bones. It's just like it's like, and then it was just a funny, and it was a beautiful moment. I woke up. I'm just like wow. And then I, I I still to this day like look at that dream, and it helps me take the pressure off myself in a lot of ways, and to just surrender to what's going on in these moments. That it's bigger. You know, it's bigger than me, and to, it's okay to have fun to stay in joy, to play, to not take life as seriously as I once was. And that dream, I look at that and it's just like, I'm like, where's the eye in this? Just like, enjoy this. And so it just makes it also sit in that mystery of what life is. And so I, I love it. I love the energy of that dream. But yeah, it was just, it was a great moment. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> That's wonderful. It reminds me of a story actually that I do tell in the book, just about how he knows what you need you know, the way he knows that you needed to lighten up. So, you know, that's what happened. You lightened up from being able to sit there and laugh with him, right? You know, there I was um, back in India, I was smoking these awful little cigarettes called beedies. They're just uh, a beetle leaf wrapped around some very low-grade tobacco. They're horrible. But I was doing them and hanging out with the guy who I married, or Maharaji married me to, I should say. <laughs> And so I was smoking as sort of a social thing to do, right? But I sort of wanted to quit. They were really disgusting little things. So I, when I walked into the ashram one day, Maharaji called me over and he said, Parvati, stop smoking beedies. <laughs> and so I immediately, you know, handed over my pack to somebody else. And, you know, after lunch, he called me up and he congratulated me on having stopped smoking. <laughs> and he said, I'm the CID of the heart. The CID is the Indian equivalent of the CIA. So it was sort of like he's saying, I know what was in your heart. And so that's, I think of him that way many times, that he's the CID of the heart. And he knows what it is you need. He knows what your heart is yearning for. And there he is for you. I love that. It's beautiful. You don't feel so alone, I think. In this world, it's so easy to feel alone and to feel stressed and not supported and have to hide parts of yourself. And to have a moment like that, it can carry on for a lifetime. And I think, you know, when people ask about a lot of these dreams, they, they want them all the time. <laughs> they get the, it's like a drug, right? Like they just want that kick. But, you know, sometimes you only have one in your entire life, but that's, and that's all, you, all need. you need. Right, exactly. Thank you so much, Parvati, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciated the conversation and just hearing about so many unique stories. And it's really cool to share personally my own dream that I had of him that really just made me sort of sit in the, the mystery of life, which is kind of similar to sort of that conversation with Dr. Raymond Moody, but really not taking life as seriously sometimes as needed and to really have find play within these these moments of mystery. And I really liked also just the amount of dreams people are having. And it's we don't usually when we have a guest on, it's their story about the person that has died. And it was interesting to hear and to read like in the book, so many dreams that people have had of the same person. I think that's very unique on my end to hear different dreams of the same person. It's usually, you know, like maybe one or two, but there was like hundreds that were shared in that book. And so that was really cool. And all of them are very similar. It's really providing hope and love and direction sometimes in one's life. 
and you know how beautiful that is. I, I'm still shocked personally, Jade, that she hasn't had a dream of him because she dreamt so much of him when he was alive in the body. And for me, that's just a big mystery in itself because you can dream of him, but for whatever reason, she just hasn't had that experience or remembered that experience yet. Yeah, maybe she's she's too busy drowning in everyone else's dreams that it's just like that's sufficient for her. I don't I don't know, but I think it's interesting a phenomenon you might not understand or fully grasp or whatever, but she was really cool too. And and you know, just in her heart like in talking to her and I know the listeners couldn't see her, you know, because it's audio only, but she just had such a just a kind warm demeanor and I just I enjoyed that conversation it really got me in my in my heart and actually ad lib after we ended the episode we our our conversation continued and I had like a emotional breakthrough remember at the end of that episode I I oh the 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 tears started coming and they did not stop and so and then it so then it became conversation you know of course her inquisitive nature was like oh what what's going on for you and so it became this like beautiful you know connection around hope and healing and and stuff so that was just a great episode and i think i think that that whole conversation reflecting on the book and the stories and everything kind of just led me to a place where i was just really feeling a lot and so the knowing that you know when it speaks to her to her her ability to offer really safe space so that i could like unload like that right because i had never met her personally prior to that i mean you read books but that doesn't mean you know somebody or you know listen to podcasts or whatever i mean you might feel like you know them so yeah i think that really just spoke to the space she was offering me in that time and so that was really cool it felt like a you know a best friend or a colleague you had for years and and was offering that so really cool experience and yeah, love that episode. Really great. And it's it's nice to sort of for me anyways to be able to hear for someone that knew him but also knew Ram Das and had a different journey and uh, at a different time and I I really appreciated her discussion with with us about in that time she used different, you know, drugs to try to get to a certain state. And I thought that was really interesting on how now like, they didn't have the internet, didn't have a lot of stuff. So all they knew was what people told them. But now we can search and we can have these experiences, these podcasts are all, you know, being listened to from all over the world. Before they didn't, you only, you only had your neighbors to, or some books that were allowed in your vicinity to actually read, to try to find a state of peace or a new way of thinking or a new perspective on your own trauma or your own life story. And it's interesting how that culture needed something to break free. And that's what they sort of utilize. But in this culture now, like, we don't really need that as much just because of the information that's out there. And I, th- I kind of thought that was really unique in the sense of just my own understanding on how, I guess, privileged I am to be living in this time frame, other than other time frames, where there is the option. If you're looking to learn something about anything, you can just search. For me to also sit back and understand, like, trauma. And that's, I think, a lot that we're talking about on the podcast and with grief in itself. And how do we you know, work through some of that? And how do we come through some of that you know, very horrifying stuff? And some of these dreams and experiences that people had of Maharaji really like helped that. And in my own life, it was just like the people and telling stories and how important that is for healing and to being able to remember that you know, you're not alone, you're still loved, and that it does take courage on path. And I'm also grateful just to have a friend like you, Jade, to be able to tell those stories to and listen to stories from. Because for me and my own trauma and my own grief, 
throughout my life, it would have been a different story without you being present and for me to be able to tell those. So I appreciate the space that you also provide in you know helping me be able to be here today and being in a position where I have a lot of hope for the future and a lot of hope for humanity. Beautiful. Well, thanks. That's wow. That's a nod. That's I appreciate that. Hey, you know what? I am also grateful for the space that you offer for me. And oh man, we've just made tremendous gains together over a 20 year span. Maybe we're at more than 20 years. It's been a long road. And so (laughs) it's leaning on that. And in a a lot of ways, you've taught me how to hold space for, for you by modeling that for myself. So it's a two way street and it's a blessing and it is not lost on me the support. I mean, everybody needs a cheerleader. You know, I'm grateful to have a a few amazing cheerleaders, a cheerleader that never changes and a cheerleader that just uh, relentlessly holds you down through all the the curves and twists and turns is, is a blessing and something that money really can't buy. And, you know, I've realized a lot this year from talking to a lot of other people too, that it's an outlier. Lots of people don't have that kind of safe space to fully show up and not have to pay anything or give anything or be anything. Uh, tremendous growth happens in that in that space. So you've been that for me too. So I'm grateful for that. So thank you for that. That's so sweet and amazing. Amazing that you feel that way. And I just feel so blessed. So yeah. And speaking of hope for other people, support, unconditional love. Episode 213 with Addison Brazil. He's a speaker and author of the book, First Year of Grief Club, a gift from a friend who gets it. In this clip, he talks about his dreams of his brother, his father, and his friend. And wow, what a phenomenal being Addison is. And you could tell he's spreading out hope and ambition and resilience everywhere he goes. And he is the embodiment of those qualities. Just a beautiful conversation with him and also heartbreaking that some people are called to endure just so much in their life. Like it's just, it honestly makes me wonder how some people get through or how they're still standing or how they survive it. Like when every odd is against him and it, 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 see, it seemed like that for him. And some people might go through that exact, some of those exact experiences are, are, are similar and have a very different ending. And so just grateful to be in his presence and so moved by that episode which seems to be a theme. I I feel like I say that all the time, but really, really uh, powerful episode. Take a listen. To go back to what you were saying earlier of present day grief, I will say that my biggest challenge is currently what I'm going through when I'm not awake. I've always been a very vivid dreamer and a hyperactive thinker. And for a normal night for me is sort of like watching seven Netflix shows in your head that you're narrating and then also sort of carrying your to-do list in like every sort of like dream, hope and want without like yourself there. Like it's it's sort of like a black mirror thing for me, I'd say three nights of the week. So for anybody who has that, I really feel for that. And there is such a an urge to I don't, medicate or, you know, you're just trying because you just want to sleep. I am not one of these people who sort of never really dream and then have like one formative dream. It's like sort of constant to a point that especially in the grief processes where I felt like I was more malleable, it would actually confuse me. They felt like memories. I mean, I I dream very realistically, but within the three grief processes, I like journaled a bit about this today in preparation for this. And it's it's interesting because I noticed that 
My brother, I had very vivid dreams where we would have like the best time ever, always, like just like it was so loving. And then there was always a point in the dream where I realized and I was like, oh, you have to go. And I would wake up bawling like because it was like every night losing him again like it was but I wanted to spend the time with him so badly but there was always this point in the dream where I was like oh no you've got to go oh no you know so it was like every time I dreamt about him I was like basically my brain was breaking my own heart again kind of thing and so that was really interesting how that's what it was with with him and then I had this sort of odd formative experience one day where I just really felt a shift in energy and I'm not overly woo-woo but like something sort of I just knew that it was different and um, since then I don't dream as often but when I do it is it is very similar and I don't want this to sound wrong but when my brother shows up in my dreams now it's usually in correlation with like a romantic interest like it's like sort of like he's there's elements of him in who I'll get to love next like I'm very like aware that he's sort of there so that's kind of been that my dad my dreams of my dad are always were somewhere and it's like think of you were in like in a museum gallery and I'm like he's in the corner and the whole dream is me trying to get to the corner and I can't get there and Eventually I started to get there at times and he can't speak. He just like nothing. So it's just this. And then there's a little bit of sometimes like, oh, it was all staged. Like he's living in, you know, Morocco and like, I knew he was somewhere kind of thing. And there's more personal elements of sort of him. He's with people that I felt maybe he didn't protect me from at times and that, that he's chosen sort of. And so like, I can never like really get to him. And that was really tormenting because I had had these beautiful things with my brother where at least it still felt like I got to spend time with him. But with my dad, it was like, he was, it was hurting. It was breaking my heart in a different way every time. Like I'm fine, I'm trying to get to him all night. And every time I get to him, he either can't speak or he sort of ignores me. Like, you know, he's like not speaking to me. Yeah, and then my friend, very weird. One dream ever. I was driven in like a beautiful, she was like, she had this Instagram account she was building called the Bougie Peasant. She was kind of, she was fun and loved fashion and, you know, but like accepting the, the peasantness, but but bougie. And she wasn't a peasant. Well, she was, you know, glamorous. But um, I was driven in this like very nice car. And I remember just like being like, who dressed me? Like I was clearly like a stylist had like like this like perfectly like like white cashmere coat that I could never wear because there would be coffee on it and like all this, you know, being driven in this. And I, we just drove up to this house and it was this beautiful white house with this beautiful white garden. And the person, I didn't see their face, but they opened the door for me and I got up and, and she was in the garden and she turned to me and I just walked up to her and I looked her in the eyes and she like embraced me. And it's like that weird thing where it feels like it was forever, but it was probably like 10 seconds and then I like woke up, but like that dream sort of exists within me forever. Like it's on a loop, like it's this weird sort of spaciousness within me and my grief of like, I just, she was good, you know? And and then again, like, yeah, never, never again. So it's it's really weird. My brother has been recurring, which makes sense kind of, I guess, you know? 
brothers. And then my dad was very specific. And obviously I think the trauma bled into the, the dreams in that. And then, and then having that experience and I, I rarely dream of him now. And then for someone who dreams, like I said, seven dreams at a time all night long to have only seen my friend once in it will be six years in March. It, it's, it's pretty wild that she like, and it just, it just gives me a sense of that energy is very free. And she was like a dancer and it's a beautiful dancer. She, nobody quite moved the way she moved like it. She just, she literally, the way she moved on earth was unlike anything else. And I just know that's sort of still happening and flowing and whatever works. Well, thank you, Addison, so much for coming on the podcast. That was a great clip. And one of the things that I did like that he really went into detail on how his dreams of each individual were different from one another. But I also liked in the episode that he talked about the honesty and the importance of honesty within the grief journey. And I've seen that in my own life on how honesty can be so difficult. And some of these dreams can be very honest reflections on what we're actually still working with and trying to digest and integrate within our lives. And they can be really helpful tools. I know for myself and my journey, dreams have been a wonderful tool for me to sort of see how I was truly feeling because, you know, a lot of times, like the best of us, you know, we just don't know and we want to sort of feel that we're, we're maybe further than we are in the journey or we're, we want to get back to a new normal and you want to sort of hide maybe away from some of those difficult emotions. But these dreams can really propel us into that. And so um, I just really appreciate that conversation and how honest he was uh, within the conversations that we had. It was beautiful to hear. Okay, next on the podcast, we have episode 214, Rebecca Sofer. And she is the co-founder of the Modern Loss Community and the author of the recent book, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. So in the clip, she talks about dreams of her mother, father, and grandmother who died. And I will say what was really great about talking to her, it was a holiday episode where we you know, talked about different things. But in the book, she actually brought in grief dreams and talked about it. So I really appreciated the fact that she, how much she values these. And a lot of times it's because people have their own experiences. So here, take a listen. Um, well, my mom died in a car accident. So obviously that was an unexpected thing. Uh, I had just seen her just about an hour before the accident occurred. My dad was in the car with her. This was an incredibly traumatizing experience for him, obviously, and for me because, you know, my mom died <laughs> and I had to handle all the funeral stuff and looking at her body and, you know, also just like absorbing everything that my dad had to share with me about that experience, which was very traumatizing to me. And I kind of like automatically held a lot of space for it because I was on autopilot and I didn't know what else to do. But months down the line, you know, I really started, I didn't sleep very well for many months, obviously. But then like I started having some really bad dreams and I think the dreams started coming when I started feeling again, like when the shock kind of started wearing off. Obviously like had dreams about my mom being in an accident, you know, all that stuff. But then, you know, just had some really wild and bizarre dreams of like desperately trying to reach her on the phone and not being able to reach her. And then when I reached her, she was very kind of like disembodied and uninterested with her voice. And like, these were very stressful for me to have. They were very painful. It was like, having my grief like stoked all over again. And that's when I really started to explore those, you know, the dreams. Wow, that's, that's horrifying that you had to sort of relive some of those moments and have those 
experiences while you're asleep and then to like how it sort of just triggers the emotions moving forward. And so did they change over time? Like, have you seen anything different now that you've, you know, you work through a lot of your grief and you're helping people through theirs? Have you seen those change? Are they just, do you still have nightmares? Um, I, you know, I don't really tend to have nightmares now. You know, my mom died so many years ago, but also I know that that doesn't really mean anything with regard to loss. You know, we're constantly processing our grief and our the and its evolution because we are alive and like our grief ebbs and flows and shifts along the way as we move through life and our relationship to our person or our pet who we lost, you know, evolves. Uh, I would say, I would not say that nightmares are something that I really struggle with right now. I tend to just kind of have dreams that like so many of them are just like, fine. And guess what? I'm fine with that because I was put through the ringer for, uh, you know, a couple of years there. And so I'm one of those people, I'm like happy to have fine dreams. I have tried the dream rescripting. I have tried the dream builder, you know, like those exercises that you, you know, really guided me through when I was writing the book and have had some pleasant surprises. I mean, you know, like, yes, I, I always wish that I would go to sleep and everybody I loved who I had lost would visit me and we'd like share a really good pizza. But that dream hasn't happened yet. Alas, alas. But you know, a girl can dream. So you never know. <laughs> that is very true. That's very true. And I just wonder if like, could you expand on maybe one of the pleasant dreams that you had that you can remember? Yeah, I actually do. I remember now I don't remember all the details because I didn't write them down. But I, I remember the feeling. And for me, the feeling is like, so much more important than remembering the details, you know? Um, I remember dreaming my grandmother died of a stroke six months before my mom died. And we loved her so much, Sylvia. She was just like the softest person, like the softest woman in every sense of the word, you know? Even I remember like I would, I would like caress the top of her hand because it was so soft. And I remember like always caressing her cheek with the back of my hand because I loved her cheek. Like it was just so soft. And she was this amazing knitter. We called her golden fingers. I still use her blankets to this day. She was just an incredible, beautiful, lovely woman. Just like the, like the prototype of like that sweet, loving, warm and welcoming grandma. And I think that it was like during a particularly difficult and sad moment and i don't even remember when it was it must have been over the last several years at some point and you know life is life and it's messy and it's hard and we go through different things and i think i must have been having a really hard stretch and i remember missing so much the feeling of like being mothered and cared for because both of my parents died within four years of each other and i've really had to learn how to like mother myself in the wake of that and that isn't always easy it's always to a certain extent lonely because it's just me in there and i remember dreaming about my grandma about sylvia and i just remember her sitting with me and just so calmly because i think i was probably really stressed during that time too and i remember her holding my hand in hers and i remember feeling that softness like feeling it i could feel it and her just sitting there calling me like Mama Shana, which is just Yiddish, you know, just like a loving term. And just sitting there with her in that warmth. And I think that's really what the dream was. Okay, so that is the end of the four episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to those again, if you're a regular listener, or for the first time, if you're not. And so Jade, 
What do you have to say about that? I'm super excited that we sort of were back on track. And one of the things when it comes to you know what this year means for me and just talking to these guests and rebranding is that you need patience on the journey. And a lot of times when there was that that change over, there was there were times where I'm just like, I want to get back. I want to get there. I want to sort of start podcasting. I want the rebranding to be done. But you know, I always had to step back and say, like, in time it will. And to just really let it be what it needed to be and then start up when it's ready. And so for me, this year was really about you know patience, transformation, and being okay with change. Really looking forward to the new guests we're going to be having on this year, but also just life in general and what it's going to continue to provide me as I sort of try to play more in 2023. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate your outlook. And I can hear lots of gratitude in your voice. So that means that you're just just happy. I think too, once you get to a certain point, and I had many of these moments over this year, like overwhelming gratitude. It might come off as being mentally unstable. Sometimes I'd look at myself and I'd say, really? But like these simple moments of like pouring a cup of coffee and just having like a quiet moment in my home where I feel safe. That's my sanctuary. That's my peaceful you know, space and just quiet solitude at six o'clock in the morning. And I would feel overwhelming, just like I could cry my eyes out because I'm just grateful for the moment that I've been, that simplistic moment. It's not this grandiose show. It's a quiet piece. And it's like a culmination of your whole life, you know, leading up to this quiet moment. So I I feel that when I hear you, you know, doing your your recap. And I just want to share like a couple points because I I learned a lot this year, but I also had some, a lot of reaffirmation and you know, when you like learn something, but then you learn it again, or you reaffirm it three or five years down the road, the importance of it. And so it becomes, it's almost to the top of the card pile again. And so when you were mentioning feeling more joy and I know like research tells us that we are more inclined to feel misery or pain or chaos or things that make us feel anxious than we are. Like as a, as a human culture, we're afraid of joy and we will actively run from our joy towards mem- misery because for so many of us, that feels really normal. And so, I mean, we've had conversations like that in, in you know, 2009, in 2011, in 2014. And that's still a theme. It's, it's a reminder that you still have right now. Like, hey, I, I really need to embrace my joy, romance my joy, make more space for it. And so, you know, I too had just moments of reaffirmation or things that come up to the forefront. And I think one thing is, is understanding that we don't owe anybody anything. And so a way to move about in the world freely is, is to be in constant reminder of ourselves that we really don't owe anybody anything. And so we're not inclined to give parts of ourselves that that we don't want to give or make us tired. We don't owe our friendship, our time, our money, anything. And when you really like realize that on a really deep level, that's a very liberating place to be. And I think a lot of people could find healing in reminding themselves because people think they have contracts with everybody they meet the Amazon delivery guy and like, you know, big and small, like all the way up to your mother, all the way down to your brother. And yeah, I mean, you owe it to your employer to show up to work after you've, after you've agreed to take a job. But, you know, you need to use discernment there in like figuring out like, who do I really owe explanations to or anything? And so that was important for me. I kept reminding myself, hey, 
you really don't owe anybody anything. Your debt is to yourself to love yourself and make time and space for yourself. And so that was really a theme for 2022 for me. And and also understanding that roads that lead nowhere in your life, they end on their own. We often don't have to orchestrate those pieces. Dead ends, they're just, they're dead ends. And I think it becomes more conversation of our ability to release and let go when it is time. And so I've had lots of, you know, proverbial roads end. For the most part, I knew, I intuitively knew they were going to end because I just intuitively know like, hey, this isn't going to be a long marathon. You have a knowing, you know, for for things in your life, but you don't got to work hard. I mean, life pulls those things away from us. People, you know, things that expire, they're going to go. And so allowing yourself to really release that. So yeah, keep telling myself and, you know, people that reach out to me for support, my friends or whatever, and they say, you know, this road's going nowhere. And I say, it'll tie up on its own follow the signs and allow it to be what it needs to be. And and when it starts unfolding in that way or ending in front of you, don't cling to it. Just let it go out the door. Just let it go out the door. And we're trying to drag all this past and these people with us through these doors each year that we move forward. It's like, I got to bring my people. And, and so as we upgrade and change, you know, you're talking about change, not everyone's meant to come with you. They can't go to the next level. And so we will do a disservice to ourselves by trying to pack these, Get you know, it's like saying to everyone, get on my back, you're all coming with me. And it's like, you're not going to be able to fit through the door. Not everyone can graduate to the next level, the next level, there's going to be they're going to be falling off. And you got to be okay with that. It's very important. And, And if you're not okay with that, then don't expect to upgrade. Don't have a delusion that you're going to go further. And that becomes a really hard conversation when it's our family or someone we've known for 20 years. The pain from releasing something like that because it's the way it's been. I mean, it's great if it's the way it's been, but holding on to something because it, it's the way it's been, that's not, not going to cut it. And so it's okay to let go of the way it's been so it can be the way it's going to be. Very important things. Not everyone can go to your next level. And I, I, I see that too with people. I talk to so many people just about the grief, just given the topic and just people around me. And a lot of the, the struggles people do have is with friends and family as they're trying to process their grief. And they're trying to make the person understand that the pain's still there because you know some friends and family, they're just not as supportive on our journey. We're trying to make them be more supportive for us. And honestly, it can be more harmful to you you because you're trying to get someone to care and that's not how people care. And so it's really, as you said, like it's acknowledging that not everyone's going to be a part of your journey and healing and, and growth. Some people are just going to be who they are. And it's about, as you're saying, like continuing to allow people to show up where they need to and to not if they don't. And just understanding what that means in your story as you move forward. And it's okay. It's okay to let go and because I find when I let go, new opportunities, new people will come and fill those shoes. But it's a scary position and it takes patience, as I sort of said, like for those opportunities and people to arise in our lives. But they're out there. There's people that care. And said, so like the, the best feelings to have someone that supports you and is a cheerleader. You don't need a lot. You really only need one. But if you can find that one, that's amazing. But you can't train someone to be that. Like they are or they aren't. 
And I think as you're saying, hundred percent, yes, yes, and and you know there may be a blip in the in the radar, right? Because it's like when you're releasing that, there's a transition period. It's like a it's incubation sometimes. So you you could have a slow quarter, you could have a quiet quarter. You know, but people that hold on to trash, and I'm not calling humans trash. Some of them are not good for you. We know that, but it's you'll know, hold on to the trash because you're afraid to have a slow quarter. You know, you have things you can pour into to get you through that quarter. But people are so terrified of being being with themselves or being alone. It's on to the next thing, and I have to fill a new person to to do that. And building quality foundations and quality relationships, it takes time. And yes, as you're in that, you know, in the spiritual community, they call it like night of the dark soul or whatever, right? You're in that dismantled state, and that can be a dark time for a lot of people and fear-inducing. They think I'm not doing. I'm not going to be alone. I'm not going to be single or without a boyfriend or whatever. I'll just hold on to the toxic thing because that transition period can be very uh, alone and isolating, and, and and cause you to look at some things that perhaps you might have been neglecting. Addison so, talked about that when he, he was did, yeah. yeah in his hospital bed, not being able to walk. Yes, and that's where he sort of had those moments of just deep honesty that really, you know, I said it was scary to look at, but that's Horrible. just the reality. Yes of you know that situation for him but he found something to that he didn't see before or he couldn't see before because he was so busy and to be in that moment it transformed him and that's a beautiful moment for me to see on how that occurred and how that can occur for people not everyone needs to be in that position but a lot of times we can always go and be more open to honesty about you know who we are and and what we're doing so it's you know like it's funny how like a lot of the the themes that we are talking about just now about our own life, it actually relates to a lot of the episodes and what people sort of talked about within their own journeys, rather it be grief or life. It's just really a journey of exploring and trying to figure out who we are and what is it, who are we when we're in a safe place? And that's just one of those things I'm learning more about carrying trauma throughout your life without really knowing it until you really reach like a place of you feel safety in like different areas of your life where something else tends to flower within yourself. And you're like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't know I can be this or feel this. <laughs> yes. But then I realized, oh, because I was carrying trauma the whole time. Um, <laughs> I understand. Like now it feels safe that I can. Like no one's going to crush it. Um, it's really interesting just by, you know, talking about looking back in the year and hopefully so that the listeners will also look back at their own life. Because I know there's, there's a lot to learn from this past year, but there's a lot of hope in the things that we've been able to overcome and be resilient and really continue to challenge within our lives. And if they're listening to the podcast, they're probably on a road of recovery of some form and they're open to learn about life. So you know, at the end of the day, I really just wish everyone this new year, patience, courage, and you know, great change and also some really amazing and comforting grief dreams because they help us not just within our grief per se, but also within our life. And you sort of see that as you look at dreams over time, they help us with other areas in our life. And hopefully people can, uh, if they're having difficulties in different areas, to be able to have dreams that can provide them some guidance. Absolutely. Be- a beautiful note. Those are lots of beautiful sentiments. And yeah, I mirror that. And it's exciting. We're going into a new space. I mean, I'm not much for like, I don't like the resolution thing. I'll just make the change in October or March. I'm constantly, you know, doing those kind of shifts. I think it's important to know, just as we kind of wrap this up, that I mean, setting a, a goal setting is wonderful and great and all that is lovely. And I've 
blogged about this a lot in the past, or not a lot, but a bit in the past. And I think that, you know, oftentimes resolutions set us up for a to land in a space of guilt. Because when we have these really concrete parameters of how we're going to behave or act or what we're going to give up, and then we have hiccup or we have hiccups, you know, uh, a blunder or we uh, epic failure, like however it manifests, the guilt that radiates from that space after is, isn't worth much. It's a, it's a pretty useful, it's like a, like, I don't, I'm not a fan of guilt because I, I, I just find it useless. It doesn't really do much for anything, like for me in terms of long-term return on investment. So I don't, I, I will set intentions and say, I will want to be intentional about being more mindful of my body or whatever. I want to educate myself more. I want to read more literature, but I don't like the day I graduate from graduate school, I said, I'm done with these concrete kind of goal, you know what I mean? Goals. It's just kind of, I'm growing and changing and it's more in a state of flux. So I just want everyone, myself included, to be mindful about how sometimes setting a concrete uh, resolution can can be problematic if things don't go as planned or there's other hiccups. I mean, some people set a resolution and then they experience a death or something and it throws them off track or they lose their job or they just don't feel as uh, motivated as they intended or, you know, whatever it is that can kind of shift the the thing. So I think be gentle with yourself about where you want to go. And sometimes that yields better results than the alternative. So just keeping that in mind as we move forward. I like that. Just continue to be kind. And as you said, the the road will end on its own when it's time, I guess, right? And you just have to be kind to yourself on the journey because we're all processing so much every day. Well, and I think too, I've had the, you know, I'm not eating sugar past this day. And like four days later, I'm in the Dairy Queen um, drive-thru. I want a score blizzard. And, you know, and now it's like, I'm a failure of a person. And it's like, whoa, that's like a really harsh dialogue, right? Because no. I need, I want the blizzard. Like, so I just, I'm speaking from experience. And then you're carrying that into January and February. I've failed. And I talked to so many people that have been in the exact same boat. And it's like, oh, I just want to do this, or I want to try this, or I want to be better at this. Then it has more flux. You're not pinning yourself to a wall or this expectation that that you can't, you know, maintain long term and stuff. And in the spiritual communities, it talks a lot about, you know, when you just make changes internally of how you're working through your emotions and your level of love for self, those things level out. You don't have to maybe eat as much sugar or drink as much alcohol or drink it all maybe, or like, like whatever your vice is, those things will go down the more you accept yourself and love yourself and practice graciousness towards yourself. It's not the, it doesn't work the other way around. It goes the other way. And so I think mindfulness around that is important as well. So on that end, I think it's a good time to just wrap up and say like, we have, we have hope. We're appreciative of this last year, great gratitude. And hopefully said, this year is a great year for people to continue to take care of themselves and find those great friendships and appreciate those friendships that they have. I know I've, you know, there's been many times in my life where I have never appreciated to the extent I do now, those friendships and even family. And that's just my journey as I move forward to continue to sort of see the truth in some of the actions and to really understand how beautiful that is. So I wish everyone, I wish everyone, what do I wish everyone, Jade? <laughs> A great day. Ha- happy. And I mean, whatever you need to feel, that's what I'm wishing. You work through whatever you, you you feel empowered to move forward into the next year. And for some people, yeah, that's being in the fullness of your grief. 
and then getting back up and, you know, making space for all of it. I mean, it's great to be optimistic, but we don't want to send any delusions that life isn't, uh, you know, a well-rounded piece. So whatever you need to feel and work through and feel inspired by, then that's, I mean, that's what I'm hoping. You're your own person. So you do what you need to. I know what I wish. I wish people to just validate and feel their feelings. If it's grief, it's grief. If it's joy, it's joy. And to just allow those to process through. That's what I wish. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now I like it. That's great. Hey, you know what? That's what I need and what I'm going to continue to do. So great guidance and advice. So thank you. Sending love to all the listeners and 2023. uh, Yeah, I'm excited to keep this journey going and just connect with all of you in all different kinds of ways and stuff. And it's such a beautiful community. So thank you and all the best. 